We quite like a podcast, and this is quite like a podcast. Hello, podcasters. This is quite like a podcast with me, Rory Forbes, and me, Tim Dedman. Uh, welcome to episode six of uh, the podcast. And now we've we've had another elongated gap due to, um, I think, dental commitments dental on my part and, and travel on yours or grandchildren grandchildren um, the, the grandchildren traveled and we absorbed uh, the mm. grandchildren so we've lain down in a dark room for a couple of days since their departure <laughs> which we now miss them immensely but uh, the house has been returned to some sort of calm and normality my children say that 13 in podcasting is the key number if you make it to 13 you're likely to continue and if you most most die before they get to 13, ah, 13. so there you go it, it's kind of the, the metric that's out there unlucky for some well unlucky mm. for others mm. i know i'd that it was five so somebody a conversation i had was that you need to do things for five weeks to form a habit so when i first started swimming in back in rugby at the pool you had to go for five weeks however many times a week you went to build to build the habit and once you'd cracked that it became far easier because you know, your body just expected you to do that so that may be where the five comes from i mm. don't know well if it's five we've passed it and if it's 13 we're Absolutely. halfway there and bearing in, our, bearing in mind our previous disastrous maths attempts in previous episodes we should probably stop there i've already had some criticism from someone very close near and dear to me who said don't talk about statistics don't talk about maths because you always get it wrong well that's a vote of confidence isn't it <laughs> so speaking of always getting it wrong briefly for but a second summarize the um smp situation over the last week more arrests uh, I, I, motorhomes I, I i am uh I think the motorhome may well have been an inspired move if it hadn't been for a pandemic-induced lockdown and, you know, the, the, the kind of reduction of any kind of campaigning activities and uh, and so on, because pe- these political parties spend a lot of money on battle buses. Now, I don't think the motorhome is quite a battle bus, but um, uh, uh, and obviously having it on the permanently on the asset register, you can... You can reduce your three hundred and fifty million a day for the health service a week. Absolutely, yes. There's another statistical (laughs) cock up. (laughs) Ten bob on ten bob for the health service on the side of a motorhome. Yes. (laughs) No, my 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 commentary, I think, on the um, the sideshow that is Police Scotland's attempts to uh, um, uh, you know create a an event around what should be you know a relatively serious and straightforward you know, series of questioning of potential suspects has grown arms and legs precisely because it's a political party. But what I would say, Tim, is where is the, for £600,000, which I think is the sum that is in question, uh, we talk about £37 billion of test and trace, is it £15 billion of PPE or more? Um, You know, the the Tory uh, PPE VIP lane, I think perhaps worthy of similar if not greater police attention you could fund a lot of um, junior doctors and nurses pay rises with, with that money Absolutely. but moving swiftly moving along. swiftly along i think to keeping a political thing going where's where's bob we ought to have a jingle yes a kind of an isle of white <laughs> oh. jingle for where's bob <laughs> my wife already thinks i'm spending too much time on the podcast but i think we should d- design and record or create podcast so, so I, I got nowhere i mean i had several letters back which were kind of home office standard fodder 
about um, missing children, but really nothing about where the 185 still missing might actually be or what's being done to, uh, to try and locate them. Anyway, you've been engaging with, with Bob on well, another matter. I've been engaging with Bob on social media, um, and particularly as the weather starts to turn to you know a warmer um, habit and the sun's streaming into our lofty eerie today, out of which... I can gaze longingly upon, you know, the Western Solent approaches and Bournemouth Bay right across to Purbeck and uh, um, Pool Harbour and so on. But dare I go in the water? You may be aware, Tim, of Surfers Against Sewage. I am. We need a Jaws. I think in post-production we can probably add. I'll get edited out there, I expect. <laughs> Actually, Parker, our dog, has got a fin. It, it's a flotation device for dogs. So when um, Louise used to take him on uh, the um, paddleboard, he would say, yes, so we'll have to fo- put a photograph of this on Insta because Rory has just enacted out a shark's fin on his head. This is more on Parker's back. But it basically, if he fell in, the idea that he would um, be kept afloat and also he would threaten the other beachgoers because he had a shark's fin on his back, despite the fact he's a, a spaniel, is um, probably one worth taking a photo yeah. of. We, we must also get a photograph of the mayor of Vent- Ventnor saying, it's OK to go in the water, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Look, coming back to West White, Colwell Bay, Totland Bay, Surfers Against Sewage, their online map, which I think is an app you can download uh, called the Safer Seas Campaign. For the last three, four days, and I've been... Uh, uh, reinstall the app on a new phone um Totland Bay and Colwell Bay amongst many other island bathing um locations has had the dreaded red cross implying that there is a sewage mixed with rainwater outfall overflow because of the aging infrastructure that the privatized water companies have failed to maintain over the last it 30 years or so since water privatisation? Probably at least that, yes. Yeah, so um, I'm engaging with um, Bob on social media and I, typically that's not a good way to engage with an MP because they kind of don't bother. They broadcast but they never kind of read or listen or engage unless you're incredibly rude and controversial and they can get some mileage from you being a nasty internet troll. So I would never go that far. But um, uh, I think it will go into correspondence on this as well because, you know, we've got a beach up on Colwell Bay. I want to go down there in the warm weather. I want to swim, I want to kayak, I want to paddleboard. Um, I want to enjoy watching the hut visitors you know, arrive sober and depart drunk, falling off the pontoon and into the water. Um, but dare we go in the water? You know, there's all sorts of things that I can talk to Bob about. One of the things I don't want to see is anything bobbing past me when I'm enjoying a swim in our in our There's a slogan there. Keep going. No, um, I, I'm just formulating on yeah, the cuff yeah, yeah, something yeah. about no more bobbing Bob or something, and you could have a picture of a one of those emojis that looks like a something that isn't an ice cream corner. Yes, is it, um, is it the poo emoji? It's yes, that's to. the one yes. with Bob sort of swimming serenely along with, with a series of poo emojis haunting him, yeah. floating, so, float, so, floaters, floating Bob, floating voters. Well, but floating voters going over the horizon. Absolutely, perhaps. yes. Dis- well, disappearing is what we want. Yes. Um, what's the opposition like? Um, uh, the opposition to Bob. Um, You've I been th- here longer than us. Only by a year. So um, I, I think the opposition Isle of Wight. Um, there's theoretically Labour's a strong opposition. I think presumably uh, in the towns. Again, uh, the towns, the, the 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 more urban. And I think he might be. 
non-town based. I mean, it's fresh, yeah. uh, Freshwater and Yarmouth probably his biggest towns. So I think Newport and Ryde and Sandown could be in the other, east the other. I know. I, I think Newport is uh, fair in the east, is in the west white okay. constituency. So he may well have a, a degree, but of course, you know, rural farming, you know, moneyed landowning yes. uh, electorate on the West White could find itself, you know, natural conservative. Um, I, I think there's a strong green presence on, on the island, but I'll, there's a lot of independence as well. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the Isle of Wight Council is actually run by an independent coalition, um, or certainly had been recently. So the opposition is more independent than established political parties. They've had a few problems as well, I think. Yes. Hasn't the leader of the council had to resign and ended up in, with a prison sentence, I think? there's they've, Going back to, I think, episode one or two mm. of our podcast, we talked about the Vectis National Party. Yes. Another uh, SNP uh, link. Um, but the, the recent leader of the Vectis National Party has just been imprisoned on historical child sex abuse charges going back to when he was a teenager. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, I, I think the county press and the Echo may well have covered it also. But uh, So he's now in prison and I think he's got a, a two-year sentence for, for, for his previous crimes. Um, so, yeah, the, the opposition is certainly there. But I think the Isle of Wight demographically is probably a pretty much a Tory stronghold these days. It would take a lot of organising, I think, to oust a Conservative MP from here. But, you know, I'm all for giving it a go, Tim. Traditionally, it's usually been the Liberal Democrats where where you... I'm thinking of Guildford, where I grew up. Yeah. Um, you know, the ones who actually did it for a couple of times were the Liberal Democrats, where you have the very strong local candidate, um, lots of bad Tory stuff going on, and Labour almost tacitly saying, look, we can't compete in this particular yeah. area, and everybody getting behind the Lib Dems. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Guildford has still slipped back. Yeah, similar in Aldershot, actually. You yeah. know, the, 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 the number two... Uh, particularly the general elections and often d different ward council elections there was a strong labor dominance in local council elections again according to the demographic of the ward um housing association formerly council house estates tended to be strong labor and always labor would guarantee that vote you weighed the vote for labor you know except in scotland of course well you used, you used to weigh the labor vote <laughs> currently you weigh the um snp vote but now of course that may all be question. But the SNP is just one party. Other independent supporting parties are also Indeed available. Indeed they are. So we'll, we'll keep you posted on the um, what's bobbing past um, yes. Scotland and Colwell and other beaches on the other way. Speaking of um, pol politically dodgy dealing, did you see the um, result in the Dominion versus Sky? Yes. Uh, or Rupert Murdoch and yeah. Fox, rather, yes. case this morning. Yes. So I mean, just to summarise, this was um, Fox News in the US uh, very publicly accusing Dominion, who run the, the telling machines for the US electoral process, of corruption and basically um, handing the election to Joe Biden and being quite explicit that you know they felt that the, the whole thing was rigged. Standard, standard Fox, you may think. Dominion then took them to court, fair enough. Fox then, as they do, going through the long process of disclosure, 
whether this is accidental or deliberate, but actually disclosed all of the WhatsApp and other messages sent privately between their presenters and um, technical staff and so forth over to the opposition. And these revealed big time that most of the presenters didn't actually believe a word that they were saying. And actually, you know, they did it so that they got paid by the, by the Murdoch um, millions, but actually were quite sceptical and saying, well, this stuff we're saying is really mm. stupid and, you know, it's, it's, it's just, just crackers. And this was all put into the public domain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what they were trying to do, of course, was to keep the audience high so they knew there was an audience out there for people that wanted to hear, wanted to believe the Trump lie, the big lie. And so if they fed content out that, you know, promulgated well, they're that feeding line. the beast. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, then feeding their own pay packets, yeah. which is why I mentioned yeah. the money, because yeah. it guaranteed their jobs. This is the Hanratian people like that. Yeah, yeah. The question is, of course, should they have settled for what they settled? Because I think it was circa half, just just, just almost half of what they originally put in the claim of $1.6 billion and they've settled for $787.5 million. Have they sold out or have they got perhaps a huge financial victory for themselves? Is this, though, a bit like the uh, press um, phone-tapping inquiries against people like the male from the Levison inquiries the only real casualty so far has been the news of the world but there seems to be pretty widespread agreement that it's been going on all of the other cases have been settled out of court mm. Mm. now there's one going through at the moment which I think Prince Harry is part of yes. Elton John and several others and you wonder one of the problems is they've almost got away with it. They've been able to pay the money, but they've never actually been shown up in court for what they've actually mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. And because they've always settled, so you wonder whether the, eventually they come up against people who are so rich that they don't actually need the money, mm -hmm. and they might just call their bluff and say, no, yeah. we want to go to court. Yeah, I think Fox, or well, the Murdoch Empire, has sitting on something like $5 billion of cash. Yes. So $787 million of cash is somewhat painful, but it's not... It's not life-changing for them. But, of course, it, and it will also have the knock-on benefit because those who believe and follow them will actually be more incentivized because they can play the victim now, mm. so they'll actually have more money coming in. So mm. it'll probably be balanced out mm. fa fa fairly quickly. I, I think I would have been happier if Dominion had had their day in court. It, there's always a risk that you end up losing and, and not getting the financial rewards that you wanted. But perhaps in a matter of this nature... You know, where we're talking about misinformation, manipulation of electorates and so on, that it is important to draw a line somewhere in the sand that says this is not acceptable. You know, you cannot do this. Presumably they're a publicly owned sort of share company. And I wonder whether there's a duty of care to their shareholders at some point, because if you roll the dice, as you just said, and take that kind of ultimate gamble of going mm. to court, anything could happen, whereas they've been offered a lot of money and their reputation you know, kind of probably enhanced. So maybe they've taken that kind of conservative view. Yeah, I? I think so, yeah. Well, it clearly, when it comes to court, all the world's a stage, and um, you having your day in court, you know, is a day for you to perform to your audience and to your base, and uh, I think that might be a neat segue into our into our next section, Tim. Could be, all the world's a stage.
So we're um, with that very cheesy, corny link I to, to the section. <laughs> yes, um, anyone would think this was planned. Um, you know, we, we we talked in one of the previous episodes about um, an experience. I can't even remember the context now. It was you appearing in Arthur Miller's The Crucible, I think. Yes, I was Giles Corey, an old man who was, a I think, a bit of a busybody. So you do remember it intimately. Getting in his nose into other people's businesses. So the, the Crucible is all about the Salem witch trials of 17th century, um, uh, when there was a witch finder. There was general. a thespian-like gesture there, which was the sound on the microphone. <laughs> Rory can't stop. He's actually gone into full acting mode. Yes. Well, obviously, the people at the back of the audience needed to understand what I was doing there. So yes. I was I was uh, exuding enthusiastically here and, and breaking all studio etiquette in the process. But you've also done other performing, haven't you? So, it's, I mean, we can talk about our kind of acting things, but also I know that you've done music and you've done a few different takes on this. I suppose one of the things that kind of related to doing a podcast in the first place, you have to be a certain kind of... I don't like to talk of myself in the first person. Self-obsessed. Self-obsessed. Confident individual. Confident to to talk about all the things you've been so amazing at in your life. And lay your soul on the yeah. line. I have to say that in doing this and admitting to that, as a young man, I was probably the shyest, most introverted character that I knew. And I had this terrible affliction, which meant that if any attention was uh, shown onto me, in any context at all, um, I would colour up red as a beetroot. There's probably a medical condition for that. Anyone with any ideas um, of what the medical name for, you know, uh, random serious blushing is, I'd love to hear from you. We now um, call it Isle of Wight Sun, of course. <laughs> of course we do, yes. Because yes, after a weekend, like this past weekend, yes, I, have, I am glowing a little bit. But yes, I, I've probably been trying to overcome that awkwardness uh, throughout my life. Um my first time that I can recall being on stage was Pitlochery Town Hall. Picture the scene. Uh, I was in a little troop of primary school children doing Hansel and Gretel. And we'd rehearsed for this for weeks and weeks and weeks. And one of the, the big showpiece moments was us skipping around the stage in a big circle in front of virtually the whole town. And Pitlochery is a town, or was then a town of about maybe 2,000 people most. So maybe we had half the town population in, in the audience. And I got a bit too eager and I ran into the girl in front of me or I slowed down so the girl behind me collided with me. It was one of those two scenarios. Her jimmies, as we call them, gym shoes, plimsolls, trainers now, sneakers now. In Ireland, they call them scutties. Scutty, yeah, yeah, of course, because of the material they're... I presume they're so. ...they're made from. Um, Jimmy's in, in Scotland. So really it was, as with most early acting, it was just a means of meeting the opposite uh, sex uh, and yes. making physical contact with them by <laughs> losing your footing due to dodgy pencils. <laughs> I, I have an accusation that a previous, uh, a subsequent... Um, performance experience was because I was able to meet more girls but I'll come to that in, in a moment um, so basically this girl fell over and I've got this absolutely vivid recollection of the teacher Miss Manson who was playing the piano looking at me in the most stern way possible so of course first of all shy me doing a performance in front of the whole town uh, does a faux pas and gets the attention of the wrath of the teacher a very strict matronly Miss Manson um, uh, 
So I think that probably set me back a little. There often, yeah, there's there's often those embarrassing things. I, I remember being a king in the nativity at primary school, and I think it was probably they wanted to tall people. So the in your final year, you've got those sorts mm. of roles. And all I remember was that one of the shepherds, um, obviously in a nervous moment, the cry came, "Miss, miss, miss, Johnny's done a poo." <laughs> So I think we went on with one less one less shepherd that night. <laughs> and that clearly wasn't scripted. I well I don't think so. But it was a farmyard, so it could have been a stable even. <laughs> a stable, yes, yeah. But funnily enough, when I um, uh, uh, came down to England, so still uh, I was nine when we moved down, or just just about nine. To make your acting fortune. To, to for to you know like like Dick Whittington. Yes. To to pursue my fame and fortune, I did land a role in Newport. Junior school in Aldershot, uh, as in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which would now be year six, I think, if I get their years right. It was then fourth year yeah. of junior school, now year six um, in, in current terms, in, in certainly the English system. Um, and I had quite a good voice, quite a good singing voice. So I was picked to be the narrator in Joseph, which is quite a lot of singing uh, between. Um, different um, tableaus but I was also asked to um, sing the Joseph part as well so I was the narrator and I was the Joseph part because the guy who had much better personality than me didn't have a strong singing voice so I had to sing both parts and so I had to sit in this prominent chair to one side of the front of the stage singing as Joseph and singing as the narrator so was he doing the actual acting? he was doing the acting all the would he mime or? No, he sang as well. So okay. we both sang. So it just gave it a more powerful yeah, yeah. sing no, performance. Again, I, I remember being incredibly embarrassed because, again, that was another situation where a light was shone on me and I probably was completely embarrassed the whole time. But when you're told to do something by your teachers, you you kind of do it. Is that why, you, why we do it, though? But you, you talk about the shyness, and I, and I was probably... I do you do we do it because we, it gives us a chance to step outside of our everyday persona and actually be someone else and... You, you, you know, so you are actually playing a part. So the shy, the shyness sort of disappears uh, until before and after. But while you're doing it, doing it, I think for me it was probably an attempt to overcome shyness, which I still suffer from to an extent. Would I complain about a meal in a restaurant if the meal wasn't as ordered? Yeah, I probably would now. But maybe five, ten years ago, I might not have. Many people who know you would find that hard to believe. The, shy, the shyness bit. No, and I think there's probably a reason for that because the bulk of my career, 38, 39 years in, in software, um, I've been selling software. So I've been standing up in front of people, describing software, demonstrating software, talking about software whilst you know reading a room and trying to react to looks on faces and questions and thinking on your feet and so on. So you do get a very thick skin. And I think I have developed a thick skin that comes from constantly being on stage, as it were. Coping mechanisms. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. So yeah. I, I, t I tend to agree. I mean, I, I, so I, I know that I can play an extrovert, mm -hmm. but it's not my natural role. I mean, I'm, I'm relaxed in casual conversation with a small group, mm. but I'm not actually going to be the stand-up leader in any kind of venture, probably. I mean, I might be the, the second in command, but certainly not going to be the vocal leader. You wouldn't do a Trumpian shoulder barge to the no, front of the photo no, call? No, not, not at all. No. 
but but you learn tricks, don't you? So I mean, in the last few years of my my career, I did a lot of training, mm -hmm. which I thoroughly enjoyed. And training in in a way is a bit like acting. It's about a script, and it's it, in fact it's a bit like stand up comedy. But it's how you interact with your yeah. audience, and you know you learn that difficult questions. Well, you actually reflect and deflect and turn it back on the group and ask yes. and ask the group for help or anyone else in the room or the, right, yeah. a waiter who's putting out bottles of water at the back. Yeah, anyone. Yeah. And the, the important thing is you're having a you're not reading a script. Um, like we come back to the, the guy that missed his lines in the, the Crucible and I was stuck at the front of the stage when I should have been at the back of the stage and three pages on, kind of everything came back together again. But if you have a human conversation with an audience, if it's, you know, 20 people in a training course, 12 people in a training room, my, my one of my biggest sales presentations was to 500 people in the brewery in Chiswell Street in the, in the city of London. What a splendid place a, that a is. Lovely venue, absolutely gorgeous venue. I remember National Grid did a um, thing, I think it was called Affirmative Action, and it was about the power of the positive and how we, because as an organisation, they tend to, if not, something has a KPI of 99.9%, .9%, they'll focus on the 1%, yeah, yeah. or the 0.1%. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. there's another statistical error there for you. <laughs> Hang on, let me but, get a calculator to confirm that is actually the correct statistic. <laughs> But that was the mentality. So they were trying to do something about this and saying, well, actually, if, if you get three things right, worry a little bit less about the one thing that goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> one thing that kind of, it didn't go wrong, but it threw me completely. I'm on stage with a, so I'm, I'm representing a software author promoting the launch of a major new product for, for our company alongside a partner whose event it was. Now, I'm going to name names here because he he may not listen to this. He probably never will listen to this. But John O'Brien from Touchstone um, was the reseller who had their annual user day and gave us the stage uh, for, for this major product launch. Um, and we went through an acronym of all the reasons. There was like five letters as to why this product, you know, had agility, control, integration, you know, all the kind of things that software has to has to provide. And one of the letters in the acronym was F for friction. And John O'Brien turned to me in front of these 500 people in the room and said, oh, are Johnson & Johnson the manufacturers of KY Jelly? Are they a major user of your product? <laughs> I froze solid, looked at him, thought, what are you talking about? And he, he went on with it. Roy, friction. You, know, you will help Johnson & Johnson overcome friction. And it dawned on me. I think I just moved swiftly along to the next letter of the acronym. But that was in front of 500 people, and I may well have embarrassed and coloured up Wonderful. in that process. It wasn't filmed, so it, we There's a few, a few good acronym yeah. stories, but probably most of them yeah. not for here. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, back to meeting girls through acting. Oh, yeah, so meeting girls through acting. Well, when I joined Farnborough Sixth Form College, which, important note, is where I met my wife, um, so, so it was effective? It was effective, but not directly in terms of the story I'm about to tell. Um, so at sixth form, we had to choose three, if you were particularly brainy, four A-levels to study. But there was also the concept of general studies, which was kind of a free-wheeling, free-period thing. But it was actually an O-level. And I am the proud owner of a general studies O-level. Um, I can't even remember what it involves. But in the general studies curriculum, there was also kind of extracurricular activities and we could do cooking jewelry sport um one of the ones at sixth form farnborough sixth form college in hampshire was dance okay now at That's the time excellent. at the time i was a huge avid fan of fame 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're going to live forever. I, I'm going to live forever. I'm going to learn how to fly. <laughs> you should have done a fly behind that. Anyway, the um, no. <laughs> so I signed up for the dance class. And I was the first boy in the history of Farnborough Sixth Form College to ever sign up for the dance class, which for some probably reason in the early 80s was considered to be a very female-dominated activity. So I was the only boy in the dance group, and it was fantastic. So I did spend an afternoon a week with all these 16, 17-year-old girls. And 16, 17 year old boys. It's one of those counterintuitive bits of advice that you would give, actually, is learn how to dance. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I did those similar years to you, but I was, I was at boarding school, and every year we would put on a summer show, and different years would do different things traditionally. And one year, I was in the year where... Um, it was traditional to do musical numbers with the girls from the local girls' grammar school. So William Perkins, um, which I think was kind of Wimbledon direction, okay. known as Willie Perks. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and we did um, a medley of songs. The two that I remember was Officer Krupke from West Side Story, you got to understand. Um, but far better was um, South Pacific and Nothing Like a Dame. And these were done as sort of medleys with, you know, singing alternate lines and so forth. And was the most tremendous fun with, with a bit of dancing and yeah. um, accidental falling over and plimsoll action, you know, and all, all of those things. Yeah. So I'd forgotten about that one until yeah. we started talking yeah, about excellent. this. There's so many things Happy that these, these kind of conversations reveal and uh, that may well have been suppressed. Well, I was going to say suppressed, repressed, or waiting to be discovered. But let me say about the second year of general studies at Farmer Sixth College, I was joined by three other boys who decided that Rory was well onto something here. By then, of course, I was happily ensconced in a relationship with Jane, who is now my wife, and uh, but I still enjoy the dance, and uh, so that was. Have you you seen the film or watched the play, The History Boys? Um. No. Right. No. I, I hesitated there because part one of the English literature books I read was called The History Man. Oh, which is about, about Kirk at university, at university wandering his Warwick way through. university, possibly, yeah. yes. Well, yes. I th- it, was it one of those pretend Birmingham yes, ones? Yes, yes, yes. One, one, I wonderful, assumed Warwick as wonderful, a result. Yeah, wonderful yeah. book. Yeah. Um, no, so The History Boys is... Um, Alan Bennett. Okay. And many of them, James Corden was in it, for example, ah, on right. both the National Theatre version and the film. But one of the things that Mr. Hector, the teacher, says is, boys, there is no such thing as general studies. All knowledge is specific. <laughs> and this was the, what's the big guy called? I can't remember the name of the actor. Trevor? Uh, it, it'll come to me. Yeah. But, but he's a famous British character actor superb performances many of the boys went on to big stardom one of the lads was in uh, Mamma Mia part two he got married to the daughter for example oh, right. yes, yes. But, they, but they were all and James Corden being probably the biggest star but history boys out there on DVD often on the television uh, Matthew Deadman out there in podcast land I, I know that you know most of the lines as well and much of it filmed in um, Sheffield and Rotherham area a lot of the pickups Mamma uh, Mia around <laughs> No. Oh, sorry. That's a brilliant idea, though. <laughs> Mamma, so Mamma Mia 3 should be filmed in Rotherham. Yes, yes. I hope you're listening, Auntie Phyllis. They're knocking on your door <laughs> to get Bono singing SOS. We quite like a musical, don't we? Yes. Yeah. So that first mention of quite like as a segue to this next section of conversation, Tim, um, uh, we're going to talk about some on the white 
activities we've been enjoying recently that we quite like. Um, do you want to start, as we should start every day, with a, your most recent cooked breakfast experience? That makes it sound like I'm the only one playing this game, <laughs> which I don't mind, and I don't think it's wholly true. So um, off we go to Finn's, which is a lovely cafe on the seafront between Sandown and Shanklin, and is probably at the Sandown end, maybe a quarter of the way along the... Uh, Esplanade in walking towards Shanklin. Um, covered seating for maybe 10 tables with a few more out on the front if uh, the weather is nice. So, from our point of view, we parked um, towards y- Yavaland, Yavaland, walked the dog, and then arrived there at about half past nine and, ha- and had the breakfast. There's a photograph of that on our um, Instagram site, so quite like uh, a good breakfast. Please have a look at that. And it, it, how would you describe it? It was um, a step up from the kind of greasy spoon cafe approach. So quality ingredients, not an excessive amount. I mean, a very generous breakfast, but sometimes quantity is put before quality, whereas this had a nice nice um, balance. Um, sort of a wholemeal, wholemeal toast, a couple of good eggs. Um, one of my friends did comment that we should have kept the window shut because it looked like the lawn cuttings had gone on top of the eggs, but I think it was probably parsley. Um, I was going to say how much green was on the uh, um, breakfast compared to your previous breakfast that you shared with us on. Well, it certainly didn't have an avocado, that, that, that's for sure. But the, mm, the, mm. the items were quality. I think the only thing, you know, you, critically you could say is it didn't have any black pudding and um, for, for the purists, they, they might like to see that. But very good, a reasonable price. But I think the other great thing, and we I missed a trick here because um, my son who was with us had... I think it was a banana bread, a bit like uh, with lots of cream and fruit and things. And they also do sensational pancake stacks. Mm. So it's very much a good one to go to for if you're a traditionalist, but you have a partner or a friend who is less keen on the fry up yes. side of yeah, things. Indeed. They they do things equally as unhealthy, but with cream and fruit and nuts and granola and, you know, very, very good yeah. and full vegetarian and vegan yeah. options. I think it's very much like the Al Murray line, the, the pub landlord where he talks about... All hail to the ale, and a fruit-based drink for the ladies. No, no, I don't subscribe to that kind of commentary. Um, but I'm just reporting it as reportage. And with your act- your acting experience, you just bring the lines back like that, which is very impressive. <laughs> and also, probably many flavours of crisps, which was was always another of his lines, wasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And a packet of crisps for the ladies. <laughs> So, yeah, again, I know that my other half is particularly keen on a a breakfast out, but wouldn't sit down to a a full cooked breakfast, you know, because of too much quantity bulk. Absolutely. And and not being so keen on some of the the components. Which is... But loves a waffle, loves... And we may may report back next time on an up-and-coming quite like a podcast team outing. Would it be fair to say that we like a waffle as well, Rory? We, We like to waffle, Tim. But we also would engage in a culinary world. Anyway, an outing, you say? An outing, yes. I think uh, part of our mission is to bring you podcasters the joy of the Isle of Wight and those further afield cooked breakfasts because it's a great British, English, Scottish, Welsh, Irish staple to get kickstart your day, have a good, hearty breakfast. And, you know, we, we think it's perhaps been underserved by much of popular culture, so we'd like to bring that to you. So... Uh, you know, Tim's just 
regaled us of his fine experience at Finns. And uh, you see what I did there. I did. uh, we, We will be embarking upon a team outing on this coming Saturday. It's a hot, sunny Wednesday afternoon uh, at the moment. Um, this coming Saturday, we'll be at, uh, enjoying the culinary output of Bestie and Spinkies, which I think we've talked about before in previous episodes, but not really gone into any depth Do on. we always keep coming back to Bestie and Spinkies? Well, I think Bestie and Spinkies has a place in our collective heart because of many wonderful family holidays in Ventnor, um, enjoyed at the seafront, and we charted their move uh, from... Uh, the Gaiety Amusement Arcade to the Haven Complex by the Isle of Wight shaped children's uh, swimming paddling pool. And uh, they've gone from strength to strength in this new location. And they do one of the heartiest, best quality, and I think a word you've used before, Tim, consistently good. It uh, is, that's true. Place in our heart also, meaning probably will be the cause of our heart attacks in <laughs> some point in the moderately far off future, hopefully. Well, can I. Can I um, it drop in an interesting segue, perhaps for a future segment on the podcast, is that my wife and I, Jane, we've just joined a gym. And, uh, you know, perhaps to allow us to um, enjoy more waffles and uh, cooked breakfasts, waffles and hash browns. Um, we're going to gym, so we're regularly swimming, talking about habit forming, as we were doing earlier. Yes, yes. Um, the habit of swimming three times a week. We've got a gym induction tomorrow to learn how to use all the uh, very e- impressive. equipment. So you won't recognise us within a few weeks or months, so... Uh, we're, we're looking forward to that. And I plugged my bike battery in this Ooh. this week, so watch out. The black pudding makes its return. So w- one of the things as well that we, we will be developing uh, in our podcast offer is bringing you outside broadcasts from different locations and meeting a, a variety of different people. We've noticed that some of our podcast is the word competitors or compatriots. The rest. The, the rest. The others. <laughs> there's quite like a podcast and there's all the others. Many of the other podcasters that are based on and relate to the Isle of Wight are very much into interviewing great and the good characters, personalities, people who've got an island story. If, if Apologies, Harriet, for uh, stealing that. No, she's very good. It's a very good podcast. Very interesting. We like it very much. Uh, we do indeed. It's, a, it's one of the we reasons. We model everything we do. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, now, I think one of the things we'd like to do is introduce not just Rory and Tim waffling on about waffles and other subjects, but we'd like to talk to other people and, and learn from other people about what makes them tick. And I think as perhaps will be a little bit more of a vox pop, so t- talking to, to the man and woman in the street. Yes. Um, as opposed to the great and the good yes. who've done something worthy and uh, and. Uh, you know, substantial over a long career, etc. Et we were wandering along the front at Sandown, I think it was yesterday or the day before, and these two gentlemen were having um, their afternoon four-pack of um, special brew. And my wife, I could see, instinctively turned away and interposed the dog between her and them, and knowing what would happen. And um, one of them struck up a conversation with me, mate, and we stood and had a lovely conversation. But I think we might try and avoid the special brew for the first few until we get the hang of it don't you i think so as i said in one of the early comments or kind of early pieces of wordage that support you know each podcast episode you know we're new at this we're on episode six yes and we'd like to think we're getting a bit slicker uh, at talking into microphones in an empty room just with tim and i in it but you know we get some good feedback from people but having that immediate feedback you know, in a conversation, is I think what we're all about. We don't want anything scripted. We don't want anything too stage managed, heavily produced. We just want it to be real and 
We need the comedy, don't we? We, we do need a bit of comedy. So uh, one interesting thing that w- w- when we've got this underway is we're going to do a few more outside broadcasts and perhaps with Tim's charged electric bicycle, <laughs> um, we could probably, you know, you know, enjoy some little trips, little, I was going to say pub crawls. Imagine a pub crawl but instead of coffee shop crawl involving a cooked breakfast, a mid-morning coffee and a late lunch at the end. <laughs> and Shanklin to Sandown, Yaverland, um, which I always want to call Lava Land. We never hear anyone say Yaverland. It sounds like one of those lamps, doesn't it? Does, it? Yes. Got a Lava Land lamp. <laughs> of which I have two in the okay. uh, in the podcast studio, the Quite Like Ooh. a Podcast studio. We have two Lava Lamps. But, uh, um, well, another, another person who we'd like to interview, we were at the Botanic Garden the other afternoon, and a leading light in the Isle of Wight's Viking Reenactment Society had just completed his um, metal detecting afternoon, waiting for his wife, surprisingly, uh, to pick him up in the car park. And he explained how at weekends he, he dresses up in um, Viking regalia and goes out and does what Vikings do at weekends, and said he and his, his men and women would be very happy to oh, have a chat to us. That's so, good, yes, uh, yeah. I don't know whether he drinks special brew or not, yeah. but I wouldn't be surprised. Well, there's a lager called Axe, I believe, which is perhaps more appropriate. So they're queuing up. Or they're yeah, queuing absolutely. Up. Well, we, we will be out there waving microphones into people's faces. Um, Axe-like microphones, perhaps. You well, know, the, the Axe Man, which is you know the, the famous position of a lead guitarist yes. in a heavy metal band, maybe we can be the podcast equivalent with the microphone being our Axe. Speaking of axe men, you and I had another <gasps> night out, didn't we? We did. Bit yeah. of a bit of a bromance going on here, I think. <laughs> podcast world. We we went to Shanklin Theatre, a, a great august uh, institution that serves the the good burgers of Shanklin and the wider Isle of Wight with a great program of of fair. I have to say, it's a very heavy on the tribute bands, which I think also supports the demographic that we are here on the island. Isn't it the Cornish Brewery who produced Tribute? Because that could be their in-house ale if it wasn't Goddard's F- Fuggle. St Austell's St Austell Brewery, Brewery yes. Tribute. It should yes. be, yes. Oh, I like that angle. Absolutely. I love that angle. Yes, but we went to see the ELO experience. We did. And uh, I have to say, I coming back to performing, um, ELO was one of the bands I used to sing into my hairbrush on in, in front of a mirror. I've forgotten that I knew most of the lyrics to most of the songs and was able to, uh, sitting next to you, I hope I didn't spoil your enjoyment of the I, I think we, I think we, bo- I think we both out. did, to be honest. Yeah. And I think we, we were pretty much the average uh, for the age group yes, that was yeah, there. Yeah. And nearly everybody else was belting out Mr yeah. Blue Sky yeah. and even some of the less well-known yeah. ones, oh. which I was a Wild West hero. Yeah, oh, that's a cracker, yeah. Turn to Stone... My, my own personal favourite... Roll over Beethoven. Yes, that was a cracker. My personal favourite, Hold On Tight. To Your Dreams. Sumer Dreams. And that's because that song came out when I was on holiday back in Scotland and I spent the summer with my cousins picking raspberries in the Carse of Gowrie and the little transistor radio was hanging on the end of what are called the drills or the buried drills, but they're known as drills in that part of the world, the row of um, raspberry canes, uh, continually, because it's one of the music stations... Um, yeah, maybe a greatest hits radio equivalent back then. We're talking early 80s. Uh, and Hold On Tight was on all the time. So I have this happy memory of stuffing my face with raspberries, um, the sun shining, as it did all that summer. And... Um, Really, really, really good memories. And so many hits. Oh, but, yeah. You know, you, you tend to forget that some of those bands in those yeah would have would have dozens of you know top ten ten hits that they just reeled off. And mm. I mean, the, the, the band. 
maybe struggled with one or two things where there was lots of in orchestral stuff and it's probably quite difficult to replicate it but actually on the rock and rolly stuff we're, oh, yeah. we're pretty solid and oh, although I would a give, very good night i would give them a fairly significant kudos for their orchestral arrangements because they were one cellist down yes um and cesca who was the francesca who was the cellist and the, i forget the the lead violinist i thought it was maybe. chester and so did i but then I looked online at their it's website, Jessica. and it's Francesca uh, uh, was uh, the, the girl that Chester was, would have been better. Chester would have been better, yeah, but it was Cheska. And um, uh, what was also very impressive was the fact that the, the front man, the lead singer, was a real Jeff Lynn, looky likey, soundy likey. Yeah, yeah, that could be um, a podcast actually. Couldn't eat one cellist down. Yes. <laughs> I think so. But we also, coming back to outside broadcasts, we, we enjoyed a beer. I, I, I arranged with Tim to meet in Bar 64 yes. on the corner of the main we drag did. through Shanklin and the, the little road that leads up to Shanklin Theatre because I'd looked on Google Maps in the morning and saw this picture of a Bar 64, you know, a short stroll and roll up to the theatre and back down from the theatre perhaps afterwards. However, when I walked up to Bar 64, it was a furniture memorabilia uh, book you know interior shop and it was shut of course they'll go to any lengths won't they to stop <laughs> us getting in <laughs> so i wandered around shanklin for five or ten minutes and found a lovely little beach combers bar really small tucked away small shop front surfboard out the front went in there and was greeted very warmly very enthusiastically and enjoyed a lovely pint of offshore pilsner while i waited for tim to come and met the lovely Hazel. Hazel. Who is an Isle of Wight lady um, who has got a wonderful backstory uh, of living on the mainland, coming back to the Isle of Wight, um, seen lots of great rock bands back in the, the 60s. They um, do tapas as well, don't they? They do a great tapas menu, a burger menu, a, um, the fish and chips type menu as well. So I think we're building up to go back and having a proper chat. Yes, it, with, with Hazel and perhaps the, the Hazel and the owner who was very friendly as well um, yes indeed so, so that was really good so yeah watch out for this podcasters that uh, it quite like a podcast has eyes on expansion and uh, <laughs> what's our next musical musical outing do you have anything planned um, I've got nothing planned at the moment I'm trying to remember I think I have a clash when I might be somewhere else north of the border and Francis Rossi himself not a tribute to Francis Rossi but the man himself is coming to Shanklin Theatre on the 7th of May um, talking and singing I guess and he is a particular favourite of Mrs Forbes um, but I may not be here so she may not wish to go on her Todd um, she may well indeed wish Perhaps to Perhaps I could invite Mrs Dedman to Perhaps. invite Yes, yes So we'll, we'll, we'll pursue that particular one But that, that's one of note um, What I can say is that um, The Wolverton Folk and Blues Festival Is coming up I think it's on the 13th of May um, Which is in Wolverton Manor Which is in Shorewell Which is just near Bryston Here in Night of White And it's been going for about 10 years I think uh, 10, 11 years And it's a uh, 11.30 till 8 o'clock in the evening, um, folk and blues festival. Two stages, £10 a ticket, ladies and gentlemen, um, available from a host of uh, island We should talk outlets. about that afterwards. I think so. Um, also, so I'm definitely very keen to attend that. We are going in a week or two to the Steam Railway Beer Festival. We are. And they have yes. a few bands churning out decent covers, I seem to recall. So 
Yeah, they were turning out, you know, dire straits and yes. mid- mid- middle rocking. They were know. in the big yeah. beer hall. Yes, know, the and beer they, tent they were all quite good. And there, yeah. was, there was some rock and roll, Joey Lee Lewis type Yeah, there was stuff. a big double bass yeah, yeah. going on there. Yes, I'd forgotten so about that, Tim. Yeah. I'm also going to uh, hits of the 80s, I think, at Medina Theatre with um, with my wife. We, I've been trying to tempt her out... Um, to go to some island events and she finally succumbed mm. so we are going to medina on my birthday and we're going to the alamo in ride which when the question was asked on facebook what was the best steak restaurant on the island the alamo crushed the competition wow. so we thought we should go and give it a go so photos to follow you should always remember the alamo as, oh, well hopefully we will as uh donovan once said in one of his famous songs, which I shall dig out for you. Well, I'm thinking of Call for Cats now. So is it Custer rode up with an arrow in his hat that rode around a little and said, it's very Call for Cats, it's Call for Cats. Call for Cats. So, Tim, I apologise to you all out there for us both trying to sing for our supper there miserably and failing. But uh, keeping the food-related theme going and moving swiftly away from the singing-related theme, um, we've both recently enjoyed food um, or a refreshment uh, at the Ventnor Botanical Gardens. And we quite like visiting the Ventnor Botanical Gardens. I think so much so that we're both, with our other halves, um, members. It's one of those things that you buy as a birthday present when yeah. you, you get to an age where you just can't think of what else to buy. Yeah. So you're buying experiences rather than stuff. Yeah, and, and making and creating wonderful memories. And, and Actually, that could be another podcast and title, Experiences Not Stuff. Yes, absolutely, yeah. You know, the materialistic world, I think, is being overtaken by a well-being culture. Yes. And that is one of the things, Bintner Botanical Gardens, or this could go on for hours, VBG for short VBG um, so Ventnor Botanical Gardens VBG they have a well-being project and they have a well-being arm which has yoga pilates um, a whole series of activities that you can partake in uh, to address that issue of well-being to give you calmness remove anxiety remove stresses they um, also have whopping lilies they don't at the moment they've submerged They've either submerged... Is that what they do? They sink? Apparently, Ooh. they hide. Because Mrs Dedman went in to see them the other day yep. while I was out on dog duty. As did we. And she came back and she said, no, they're not there. They've retracted under the water. So it may be that she was scamming me, which is distinctly possible, or... Because well, otherwise you'd have big floating dead well, lily pads. I do have to say, it's interesting. So the context here, podcasters, is VBG has a wonderful, expansive garden set in a microclimate, which is circa five degrees centigrade warmer than the rest of the Isle of Wight. Indeed, than the rest of UK mainland. And this is because of a geographical anomaly. And it's where the um, tuberculosis sanitarium used to be back in Victorian days. I wrote this down. The Royal National Hospital for Diseases of the Chest. And I shortened that uh, to to, to tuberculosis. It also used to be pretty much the site of West uh, Ventnor Railway Station. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Pretty much, much, yes. Slightly up the hill, yes. from it, whereas the, the VBG is nestled in a lovely kind of small valley. I mean, valley's the wrong word, but it's kind of in a gouge in the ground. VBG sounds a bit rolled down. It does, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> what, what is that? 
BFG. BFG. BFG, the big, big friendly, friendly giant. giant, yes. So this is a big friendly botanical gardens. And it didn't quite work. It's, I think it worked, yeah. Okay. No one spotted that. Very big garden. A very big garden. <laughs> it's a very big friendly garden, VBFG. It's looking in a lot better shape as well. They had a yeah. difficult winter, I think it's fair to say. They've had. Ch- it used to be owned by the council. So, yes. Um, it was the Royal National Hospital for Disease of the Chest for 150-odd years. One of the things the council obviously spent a lot of time and money on was maintaining this very attractive visitor attraction, and it, it had to go as one of the casualties of a series of cuts. Um, and what they did was they managed to sell it to a community interest company who now operate the VBG as a, uh, a business, a social enterprise, which um, has as its mission to maintain the horticultural traditions of, of the gardens, but also to offer, you know, more destination experiences, as Tim talked about. So there's accommodation, there's eateries, and there's the well-being studio, and there's always art galleries and craft galleries. There's a retail experience where you can buy some pretty well-appointed gifts and things for children, pocket money gifts, right the way up to nice pottery and, and, and so on. Wonderful plant section like a, a mini garden centre and of course on and in the grounds they produce a lot of the plants themselves but they also buy stuff in there's also a couple of lines of food based products like elderflower cordials um, uh, honeys uh, beers that they use produce uh, grown in the gardens in the production of these items. So there's there's a really interesting eclectic mix of stuff. It also has to access do. to the um, cliff path. Yeah. So if if you want to do a little bit of the coastal walk to beyond Steep Hill Cove to see some of the things that you don't actually, it's quite difficult to get to. Otherwise, it's quite a good place. Once you've gone in, there's a gate, you can hop out onto the coast path, walk along, and there's several beaches that are a little bit less known and less visited that are well worth a look. So, um, yeah, recommendation is make a long morning or a day of it. The garden's a good place to take a picnic, and you also have access to the coastal walk, and it's really quite quite magnificent. Mm. Uh, Coming back to where we started this conversation was about the lily pads. Think a mini queue greenhouse and yes. one of the attractions inside the, the gardens is a, a tropical house and it's a fairly substantial yep. uh, greenhouse which has got this kind of as you walk through it's a bit like walking into an old disused deserted mine uh, shaft and there's a wonderful waterfall uh, you can almost hear the parrots chirruping <clears throat> you can you can you know feel the heat um, a very tropical environment and and there's this huge pond in the middle uh, of this which normally has substantially large and strong lily pads i've seen photographs of people actually sat of staff not visitors i hasten to add and are carefully controlled circumstances sat on these lily pads to show uh, the strength of them uh, we were there with the grandchildren just um, uh, over the weekend and we saw some very um interesting sights uh, one of the things that we saw was ants everywhere now these were fascinating our three-year-old grandson so a lot of the paths were trails of ants and was it one of those days when they swarm it wasn't a flying ant just swarm it was just ground ants. ants you know moving around from a to b uh, i think ant 
motorways and highways. Yeah. But n- none of this made you feel uncomfortable, or although I did have a little itch as I exited the building. Um, also in the tropical um, uh, area, in the foyer of this, this tropical greenhouse, was a, a, a big vinyl white clean painting wall and there were some marker pens for children oh, to, that's a good idea to, yeah. well it's a great idea if you don't have a freshly decorated house tim paying <laughs> visiting grandchildren with ready access to oops drawing pencils now, no no accidents happened I, I hasten to add but jane and i did panic a little bit that we might be encouraging them to do things that you wouldn't want done at home as you walk to if, towards the um area with, with with the lily pond on the left hand side there's a bunch of rocks sort of which i guess will eventually become kind of an alpine garden mm. but apparently it's one of the famous places for the ventnor lizards yes so you see do see lizards basking in the sun on many of the walls and small rockeries around the town yes but apparently this is home to whole colonies of them so as it gets warm if you want to see or photograph lizards yeah. it is one of the places to come and we saw dozens uh, and very, I mean, tame is the wrong word, um, because they're quite quick to scurry away if you startle them. They're quite eager for a crumb or a biscuit. Well, or... I've never fed them myself, have you? I've seen people do You've it. You've seen people do it? Oh, interesting. Um, I, I certainly notice them sunbathing, and if you're very cautious and quiet and respectful then they tend not to scurry away so you've got a good look at them when we when we lived uh, when we holidayed on beaconsfield road there were several lizards who populated the front thing and the boys actually gave them names i think there was blizzard the lizard and to stick the insect i think there must have been a thin lizzie there there probably was yes yes. i don't know thin lizzie's probably a bit before their time we feel another song coming (laughs) (laughs) while while we're on gardening while we're on gardening can i just mention a really quite special place that i went to for the first time last week uh, which is called care in the garden um this is a garden center Uh, it's located just off of the newport to ride road close to the um cows uh, the east cows roundabout on the road that you'd go to Wootton and it's ju- just off of that junction um and many of the staff are people perhaps with learning difficulties who are being helped into employment and given employment uh working working in the garden center and the plants by those who know about these things are excellent with a lot of variety and good quality um, so that's one reason to go there's also some food bits there's garden furniture there's also a shed with reclaimed tools in it so if you want to pick up some new chisels or new secateurs that have been reclaimed it's a good place very fair prices and also in the furniture we found a rather attractive if expensive table for the garden shaped like the Isle of Wight and uh, so it was quite like the Isle of Wight it was it? quite like the Isle of Wight which is why it's ended up on the quite like Instagram site so please, please have a look have a visit yes and if you want to buy me one please feel free <laughs> so talking about gardens and having a lovely garden perhaps to have your drink to one side of you one of the things we might enjoy doing in our gardens particularly as the long sunny balmy evenings you know creep up upon us is read so are you reading anything of particular interest at the moment tim that you'd like to share i've just finished a um american gangster book by a man called don winslow who's quite famous for writing a similar trilogy about the mexican drug trade and this one is about the irish 
and Italian mobs in Providence, Rhode Island, mm -hmm. late 20th century. Um, and it's available uh, for 99p currently on, on Kindle. The other book suppliers are available. Um, but I, I romped, it's quite quite a big book and I romped through it. it I, I quite like those sort of dynastic thrillers around the mob and stuff. That's my sort of thing. Finished that the other day, really loved it. Looking forward to the next one, waiting for the price to come down. Uh, and I've just started the last John le Carre book that I haven't read. So I think there's about 25-ish. There's one or two notoriously difficult ones. But this one is called A Little Town in Germany. And I think I've only just started it, but I think it's about a civil servant in the British Embassy in Bonn who goes missing with papers and, and then the story unravels. Now, I've only just started it, but I, I love Le Carre. And I don't know how I've missed this one, but I... I, I saw it in the charity shop, bought it for 50p, thinking I'm not sure if I've read this, and I've started it last night, and no, I haven't, and yeah. I do love Le Carre. Yes, yes. I've always found him to be at the difficult end of the spectrum, perhaps because he's so verbose. Um, and the, the, maybe this is unfair, because it's a long, long time since I read Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, but I found it to be a slow build-up to plot... Climaxes. I, I think it took me three or four goes over a period of years to get into it because mm. it, it starts with uh, if old Major Dover hadn't died at Exeter races that Sunday afternoon, none of this would have happened. Is the first right. that's an approximation of the first sentence. It, it, it is quite a tough style to get into, but I think the more you go, it, it's immersive and. What probably helped me was seeing the television series with Alec Guinness, mm -hmm. but also the, the, the audio books read by Michael Jaston ah, yes. um, is a great way into them. Um, and I think I've got... The Guardian did an offer years ago linked to his new novel and actually published them as e as folders, oh, right. sound folders. So mm. I think we can share those if oh, you'd right. like, because it, it makes them a lot more accessible. Yeah, and the stories yeah. are wonderful, but but hard to get going, I yes. think. But once you get over the stylistic thing, and he often starts at a tangent that becomes enormously relevant, but is very hard to work out how it ties into the rest of the mm. book. So a well-planned series of plot circles. They're yeah. I mean, he, I, I'd say he's a modern master. There, mm. are, there are not many better, you know, Graham Greene-type mm. territory. Um but, oh, but difficult to get into, and yeah. um, let's we'll take it offline, and yeah, yeah, I, I can share yeah. Yeah. share one or two of the ebooks. Unfortunately, I, I, my problem, my recommendations are, are less things that I would want to share and recommend to people. I've been doing a lot more technical reading rather okay. than um, but that's linked novel, to your linked to reading. work and so uh, forth. Part, part, and this one half linked to work and one half of what I've been reading linked to you know podcast production activity. So, from a podcast point of view, we talked about you know going on the road. So at the moment, we are plugged into. Uh, relatively powerful laptop and sound system with multiple microphones and wires and cables dangling everywhere. Um, so we're um, going to be taking the podcast on the road. So we need a lightweight but equally good quality sound system. So I've been researching what I'm going to invest in for, for that infrastructure. And we'll be using that in my work as well as in the this, the crowdfunding this is available <laughs> via the Instagram page. Do you think, seriously though, do, do you think that actually the the liveness will actually be better or will it bother you that the quality will inevitably not be as good because there'll be pans clinking and dogs barking and well part of the stuff. research i've been doing a lot of which is online so uh online reading and um 
and, and downloading of materials. There are products on the market, this will get very technical very quickly, but there are products on the market that are pandering to this new podcast marketplace. And not just podcasts, but training, educational, you know, um, recording meetings. So there's now technology available, which is being improved and developed all the time, where you can, and there's probably sound AI, audio AI involved all of this, where you might be recording in a busy cafe with baristas and cash registers and slurping and doors banging and, you know, cars rushing past outside. All of that can be suppressed and it just picks up the voices from microphones that are placed on your clothing. Um, that starts to get very, very seriously expensive, you know, for professional <laughs> For, for the professional marketplace. <laughs> Mike, I'm looking at alternatives that will will keep the rawness of what we're trying to achieve. The fact that we're having a conversation, two blokes in a room, uh, chewing the cud over. I, I think a little bit of background, yeah. hubble and bubble, yeah. actually is yeah. desirable. Yeah. I, th yeah. I think it will work well. In post-production, if there was ever anything that was getting in the way of the chat, you know, that can Maybe be... Maybe like common sense or decency <laughs> or good taste. Editorial content, unfortunately, is not covered by some of this I don't technology. we've sworn yet either, have we? You have. Have I? You have, yes. Um, oh. uh, at oh. least two oh, scores. <laughs> Three scores. Uh, the Alistair Campbell... Oh, wow. Um, that's quoting, though. That's all right. That's OK, because that... Yes, yes, there's probably a reportage yes. uh, clause. Sick. <laughs> I used to say that. Every time we publish the podcast, we do publish it with a clean... Uh, <laughs> despite Tim's <laughs> adult uh, content advisory, but I, I think it's absolutely fine. The little ones wouldn't understand necessarily. But so there's a lot of interesting uh, stuff there, and we will be geared up to to go out and about, and out and about, and set up somewhere, but out and about and on the move. So I can't wait for episode seven. Episode seven won't be that far away. Seven is over halfway to fourteen. And 13's our target. 13 is our target, at which point we will become pure energy and will exist in everyone's heads till the end of time. It will indeed. So, for me, it's good night. And it's for me, a very good day and good evening and good night. That was Quite Like, a podcast presented by Rory Forbes and Tim Dedman. Thank you.